Welcome to the Echo Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. He left it up for grabs, and I'm grabbing. The Echo Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episodes three, Tuklo, and four, Taloa, are brought to you by Militia Mommy's YouTube channel. Smash and like that subscribe button today. Pete, as we make our way across the geekdom, ultimately landing on those two episodes of Echo, as you said, uh, in the last week, the news, uh, not only of a Mandalorian movie, but unclear at this point as to whether Mandalorian season four now is the theatrical movie or, or what's up with that. So what wisdom can you share? Seems plans have changed greatly uh, as of during the dual strikes, the writers guild and the actors um, season four was written. Season four was scheduled to go before the cameras in October of 2024. They were gearing up for that. And uh, now we have the announcement of this Mandalorian and Grogu film that will go into production this year. It remains to be seen whether that is in addition to a fourth season in lieu of or whatnot. But uh, that's where we are right now. I would like to propose uh, with a little bit of witty wordplay here. I'd like to pr propose a split the baby solution here. Can't we have a Mandalorian movie that is maybe a little less tied into the current show mythos and exploration of Mandalore and the slow build of the first order in the years to come. Can't we have something that's a little bit more standalone, but also takes some direction from the prior three seasons and perhaps even at the end of it, you know, there, they, there they go back to confront whatever, or there's the secret, uh, the secret scene at the end of the movie where they say, dun, 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 Thrawn has returned or, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. Can't it be both? Let me add to it. I feel like there's the possibility of a really, really great Mandalorian movie that doesn't need to cost $300 million that could mm -hmm. cost substantially less without looking cheap. Um, and then gee whiz Pete for the movie, you built the set for, you know, whatever new town on the, the great, uh, you know, bog planet, which then also gets used in the next season for free. Um, I, I kind of feel like, again, you could split the baby and have both. My fear is the show will fall away. Um, that the popularity of the characters, and I think they're smart to do it. And from a profit standpoint, Matt, you know, let's make this for X and return Y that the subscription model may not on its face allow. Um, but people want more of these characters, not just bigger, the amount we get in the seasons surpassing what we would get in a in a film and like i said i'm worried they'll they'll just keep it to the films now making our way across the stars pete i know in our prior echo podcast we had talked about star trek discovery premiering uh, at south by southwest in march and i understand now season five has a mini synopsis out there the final i still want to say maybe question mark final season but currently the final season of discovery why do you say question mark? I think that um, 
Paramount gets bought in the next 18 months. If Paramount is bought by Skydance, um, the production company Skydance, they Skydance helped make some of the bad robot stuff. David Ellison, who is in charge of the creative end of Skydance, wants to make TV shows and movies. He wants to be a movie studio guy, not a, look, I made... Uh, I canceled Batgirl to improve my tax standing. That's not his mindset, at least as I understand it. I think there's the possibility that either Discovery renewed or Discovery season six is also the Academy show or, or something like that. I think that there's the possibility that current Paramount leadership is getting rid of this expensive show because Paramount Plus does not make a profit and maybe new bosses lead to a new outcome. As I understand the show's finished. I don't know the status of their sets. I would imagine everybody's been released uh, since it was conducted prior to the strike that they're not under contract. I, I don't see that happening. I would hope for a way for there to be more. Um, but it's really, really interesting to me. Like we We've been ready to go for season five, Fantastic Geek, for a while with the thought that they were going to spring it on us this month. Um, that they backed it up to April, but now, hey, it'll be shown first in March. And now there's what you see on Paramount Plus. Uh, hey, this is the description of the episode you're about to watch now out for that premiere. It, it would seem things are hastening in terms of them getting this out there, I, I just find that really interesting. I'm reminded too of the incredibly favorable bounce that Star Trek had at uh, at San Diego Comic Con, including now that we have just screened the uh, the Lower Decks Stranger Worlds crossover, it hits Paramount Plus in two hours. Enjoy, fans around the world. Um, so it's crossed my mind. I, I looked up the dates yesterday. I think South by Southwest is maybe the third month, uh, third week in March. Is it a situation where we're told April, 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 and all of a sudden we're keeping track on Twitter? Oh, here's the panel, and look, Sonique was there, and Doug Jones is there, and they announce, you know, oh, we're going to screen the first episode, and then the lights come up, and they say, Paramount Plus, two hours, it's there. Uh, done it before yeah there's, there's precedent now <laughs> bring back all those subscriptions that got canceled certainly yeah yeah i mean uh in, including us like what was the point uh if there's no star trek right now i mean geez prodigies over there on uh the netflix and the movies have gone to max um and with all this, Best Buy thinks it's a good idea to stop selling physical media in their stores. So say goodbye to your Best Buys real soon. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting to ponder. Well, bringing things back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, increased casting for Fantastic Four, which talk about another project where it's like, Pete, any moment they're going to announce, they're going to announce the yeah. cast. And that I mean, obviously dual strikes i think slowed that down but casting for fantastic four casting for thunderbolts even with some some difficulty behind the camera yeah uh steven yen has uh bailed 
from Thunderbolts and they're trying to recast Sentry, hearing all sorts of names for that. He really wanted to work, still wants to work uh, in the MCU, but that's not happening. Uh, Matt Wonder Man, I've seen photos, is back in front of the camera. Uh, we had been hearing maybe that like disappears uh, and for good. Okay. And squarely back with what we're talking here, uh, having seen the Daredevil cameo, uh, now repeated and persistent rumors of returns for more of the Daredevil. Well, it's funny when you mentioned uh, in our prior Echo podcast about uh, D'Onofrio going on social media i believe it looked like a like a you know he was holding the phone himself talking about you know talking with charlie cox i remember when i saw that video you know in anticipation of are we going to come back and they both get the call and i believe when i saw that video i thought that um d'onofrio had made a slight flub in that i thought he made reference to like and I, I'm going to oversell it here, but something like, you know, and then all the cast was talking to each other or some reference was made to the cast in a way that was uh, beyond himself and Charlie Cox. So certainly, Pete, they all could have been on a chat thread and it could have been like, hey, have you guys heard? No, dot, dot, dot. OK, I guess it's just the two of us. But it Pete, it only makes sense, especially if they are drastically rebooting Daredevil Born Again and had crazy plans like why daredevil suit for the beginning of it um and if now it's why no foggy why no karen yeah how about yes foggy yes karen yes suit yes fights yes kingpin come on let's make it happen it might have been an issue prior you know in terms of eldon henson working on the hockey show or whatever you know not being available and even then you work around you know marvel comes calling and this you know the the mcu whereas they had distanced with the earlier production uh you know where it stood in the universe if it did i, I think you just find a way to make it work and these characters you know working so well together the chemistry everything like that and it would seem that daredevil you know born again is becoming more of a reboot a continuation um than its own show pete last bit of marvel news before we dive into echo uh some sad news yes uh ika darville who played malcolm on jessica jones uh, his 10-year-old daughter uh, became ill in the last year with a brain tumor and saw just this morning has uh, has succumbed. So, you know, sending uh, sending thoughts out to Ika Darville and his family, certainly about that loss. Time to recount the legend to the tribe. A silent movie tells the story of the Light Horsemen, tribal police in the 1800s. The daughter of one of them, Tuklo, was a crack shot and yearned to join their ranks, but her father told her women are life givers and men life takers. She told him giving life means nothing if she can't protect it. 
beside a stream, she braided her hair like the male Choctaw warriors and vowed they would see her not as they think she should be, but as she is. When her father and his colleagues are ambushed at a criminal camp, Tuklo senses something, her hands glow, and she sees the swirling energy that Chapa did. Visions of Chapa and Loak flutter through her mind. She triumphantly comes to the rescue of her father and the light horseman. Chola stops by Scully's pawn and confronts him on Maya's return after Biscuits nearly totaled her truck, concerned about the trouble she's brought with her like her father. Scully pushes back and Chola ascertains he's seen Maya, saying they're alike, but Chola says everything she's done is to protect her family. He cautions her not to lose her granddaughter, but she says she can uh, she can't talk to her. Scully says she should listen instead, and she leaves. Over the phone, Vicky promises Zane Maya is in Tamaha. They're still a few hours away, and Zane wants her ready when he calls. On a walk beside a lake, Maya is distracted by a vision of Chaffa, Tuklo, and another woman long enough to be chloroformed. She comes to hanging upside down in the roller rink. She wriggles free but falls to the floor, her boot coming loose and her hands still bound. Vicky and two female lackeys come over and argue. A gagged Henry watches on. One of the women picks up Maya's boot. Vicky ties her up in a storage room because he has to be out front when Zane arrives. Bridget says she'll do it and tosses Maya's boot by her. Bonnie goes to the rink but is unable to open the front door and they hear her knock. Henry screams through his gag, but she doesn't hear him. She goes around the back and gets in the delivery entrance, looking for her uncle, who she finds busy with Vicky. She has questions, but he communicates via sign language to leave right away while giving her a cover story that he's being audited by the IRS. She leaves and Vicky ties Henry back up, but Grace looks suspicious. Bonnie calls dispatch from her truck, but is grabbed from behind. Maya eyes an escape route when Bonnie is brought back by her for an awkward reunion. Maya retrieves her boot and uses its switchblade to free them. Bridget and Grace are guarding the door, so Maya searches for something they can use to get out. But Bonnie wants to talk to her about her return. Maya chalks it up to drifting apart, but Bonnie never gave up on her. Henry learns Vicky called someone about Maya. He tells him they'll never pay him or let him leave. The women alert Vicky and find Maya and Bonnie have freed themselves. Grace pulls a gun on Maya, but Vicky needs her alive to collect the bounty. As the three of them argue, Maya tells Bonnie she's going to punch her and gets them to lock her in. Vicky gets a text. Fisk's men have arrived. 
he brings them in and wants to see the money, but Zane says they have protocols and need to see Maya first. Maya makes an improvised slingshot and shoots the light out above Bridget, who enters the storeroom and is overpowered. Zane finds Henry and Bonnie tied up. Vicky gets a text from Bridget's phone with a picture of her unconscious. Grace goes to check on her, and Zane has Vicky shot. As Zane questions Henry, the lights go out and the music cranks up. Henry tells them the circuit breakers in the laser tag area. One tough gets electrocuted when he opens it, and Maya grabs his gun and takes them out, channeling Tucklo, but stops when Zane has Bonnie. He has Henry Neal next to Maya with guns on them when he gets an unexpected phone call, apologizing to the person on the other end and leaving with his men to Maya's confusion and concern. Outside, Maya apologizes to Bonnie for punching her and tells her to go, but she won't and wants to call the police, which Maya cannot have. She promises Bonnie she won't let anyone get hurt and they'll talk soon. Bonnie, Bonnie reluctantly leaves. Back inside, Maya asks Henry what happened. Henry tells her there's only one person who could have called Zane off with his men, but Maya maintains she shot Fisk in the face. Henry says he'll help her. The next morning, Scully brings her an ornate prosthetic with a Choctaw warrior design. He doesn't want to meddle in her family's affairs, but talks about his ex-girlfriend, Chola, whom Maya resents. Riding home, Maya looks in on Bonnie having a drink and leaves at a native service. Chola is preoccupied back at her grandmother's home. Maya is taken aback by an eye-patched Fisk. In 2008, New York City, a Catholic school lets out and little Maya Lopez goes up to the ice cream man. When she's unable to communicate with him, he mocks her as Fisk looks on from a waiting SUV. She gets in the car and he tells her to wait there as he has something he needs to do. He catches up to the ice cream man, pushing his cart and pulls him into an alley, savagely beating him, blood spattering his suit. When he's done, he makes a call that he needs a new jacket because he doesn't want Maya to see him like that but she's standing at the end of the alley. He tells her not to be afraid, and she runs to the man, kicking him. Fisk takes her hand, and they walk out of the alley, leaving the ice cream man slumped against the dumpster. In 2021, Maya and Fisk have dinner in his Skyline apartment, and he makes a toast to her final lesson. Maya questions what he means by final through his interpreter. He says they'll still have their Sunday family dinners, but her tutelage has come to an end as she's ready to move from the theoretical to the practical. He says they are the only ones they can trust. He tells the interpreter she's dismissed and waves a security guard in 
They walk down the hall, which has plastic sheeting at the end of it, and the interpreter pleads that she doesn't know anything and won't say anything to anyone, but there's a muffled gunshot and another guard helps him clean up the body in the sheeting. In the present day, Maya moves away from Fisk, but his men block her escape, holding her while he inserts a contact that translates his words into sign language. He felt it was important they communicate directly. She thought he was dead and wants to know why he's there. A goon hands him a picnic basket and a bottle of wine, and Fisk tells her he was hoping to have Sunday dinner like they used to. Maya points out it's Thursday. Inside, he tells her he's not angry despite the wound she gave him taking the bandage off to reveal its extent. He adds she did what she had to, just like he taught her, which impressed him. He tells Maya he thinks there's a part of her that's happy he's still alive. He saw relief on her face. Fisk says uh, he's hurt she was ready to believe the worst, having raised a hand to him in violence, but she points out that was always their language. He closes the curtains, and she says she'll open the wine, which she dumps down the sink as he looks at a framed photo of her family. She invites him to sit at the table and cracks a couple of Shasta cans open for them. He asks what happens, what happened to the Lafette, and she admits she poured it down the drain. He produces cookies from Levon Bakery, asking if they're still her favorite. He hopes that they don't go the way of the wine. As he hands out cutlery, a serrated knife falls to the floor between them, which he gets to first and offers to her. She asks again why he's there, and he tells her she can have everything if she goes back to New York with him. He'll return on the weekend and is staying at the Choctaw Casino until then, where he'll be waiting for her. Fisk gets up and tells her he hopes she's on his plane when he leaves and wants her to think about it. Maya speaks to Henry of the roller rink, which is closed for renovations, telling him Fisk has offered her queen pin. Henry hopes she's not stupid enough to accept it and relates how his association with Fisk has resulted in everyone in his life being taken away by him. He tried to get out after her father died, and Fisk threatened to kill him if he did, so he returned to Tamaha to do his dirty work. Henry doesn't want Maya to suffer the same fate. She questions why he left her in New York, and he apologizes. At the Haskell County Fairgrounds, preparations for the Choctaw Nation powwow are in full swing. As... Uh, Chola helps. She has a vision of Chaffa, Luwak, and Tuklo. Maya stumbles back and has a vision of a pregnant woman being carried on a stretcher in the woods, and their visions seem to be intertwined. Out of concern, Henry races her to her grandmother's. After another awkward reunion like the one with Bonnie, Chola tries to be grandmotherly, but Maya wants answers. She explains the visions she's had since she arrived home, which 
matches what Chola saw the night she gave birth to Maya's mother. She had complications with the pregnancy and mother and child were both in danger. Against medical advice, her family brought her to a tribal midwife. The visions of ancestors helped her through and granted Maya's mother, Taloa, healing powers when she was born. Chola brings up her anger with Maya's father after her mother's death. She didn't disown Maya. She was just too much of a reminder of the loss. But Chola sees now the generations are echoing to them at a time when they need the most. Maya storms off in frustration. Chola goes and looks at a tribal garment she's been working on. Bonnie waits for Maya. At a scrapyard, Biscuits works to repair uh, their grandmother's truck. Maya goes to Choctaw Casino and draws her gun, finding Fisk with his back to her sitting at a desk. He suspects she's come to kill him and says he can't remember not loving her like a daughter. She calls him a monster, but he cites her complicity through the years. She says he lied to her, and even the contacts demonstrate his unwillingness to learn to sign. He admits to having failed her the way his father did and shows her the hammer to remind himself of where he came from, which he wants to pass on to her. Fisk explains how his father beat his mother until he stopped him with it. He killed his father to be free and offers the hammer to do the same. She puts the hammer down peacefully. He tells her they've come full circle and that she should come home in the morning. She rides home and thinks things over the next morning, setting off again on her bike. At the airport, Fisk's private jet waits and he's handed a phone. An underling tells him they tailed Maya, but she's left. He removes his high-tech eye patch and rages in the cabin. Let's powwow about some theories. And Pete, let's start by talking about that electronic eye patch there. Clearly, the show has made the decision uh, that we're not going to have Vincent D'Onofrio wear an eye patch for the rest of his time playing Kingpin in the MCU. Whether it's this series, clearly they had, you know, thoughts of the character in uh, Daredevil, Born Again, etc., etc. Do you account his fast healing to pure technology is it do you do you ascribe some of it to uh just being part of who he is physically you know that almost superhuman strength and size and so forth is there maybe a third option something they're going to turn back and they're going to say this is fantastic fantastic four tech or xavier tech or something like that column a and column b perhaps i mean there were all sorts of rumors. Oh, we're going to find out who bought Avengers Tower in Echo. That didn't happen. Did he buy it? Has he gotten his hands on Stark nanotech to seemingly fix this, heal it more quickly? Has he, based on 
the amount of strength he'd shown in uh, Hawkeye, has he had some form of super soldier serum? I, I don't know. These things are all possible, and then they could directly reference them in, in Daredevil uh, Born Again. Um, it it works without the explanation. Okay, he's got an eye patch. He doesn't lose an eye. He's He's got some scars. They're getting better. It, it's addressed. Is it answered? It's it's not. You, you don't have to. It's the iceberg, you know, uh, understanding of, of storytelling. There's what you need to see, and there's the stuff beneath it that you don't. Well, speaking of that storytelling, um, we have in these two episodes, I would say certainly in um, episodes three, four, and five, there's a lot of Maya getting on her bike seemingly to leave town or seemingly to to like to to draw a line in the sand um and more often than not it just kind of then merely proceeds to the next scene i would like to propose again as i said with the you know in our prior podcast episode i think that you would be very hard pressed to find the stitches of the eight episodes that they shot and how they have turned that through reshoots into the five episodes that we've gotten i don't think that there's any overwhelming point where you can say this is from the first shoot versus the second shoot maybe if you want to say i noticed some differences between the hawkeye footage and the echo series footage you know okay fine but i would like to propose pete that perhaps each time she gets on a bike helmet closed meaning potentially this could be a second unit shoot with a you know with, with a double that maybe that has been done for narrative purposes to very very ably stitch together story points or parts of episodes or, or or whatever it might be because again at the end of the day i do feel like some of that bike riding for emotional resonance it doesn't necessarily lead to like and then she bikes all the way back to new york to go get the laser gun and then she bikes back to shoot the laser gun it's kind of more emotional and, and i think maybe maybe it's doing a story purpose there to to solve some of those problems that at the end of the day they fixed it's going to be interesting to see if the daredevil show which has had its own difficulties um will make use of some of this missing footage when when you go from eight to five that stuff is somewhere and can it be repurposed can it be used in in such a way there's such a wealth in the backstory of maya and fisk and now to have that informing the original Daredevil stories that always off screen was a teen version of Maya who, you know, had already seen him beat the snot out of, if not kill an ice cream man that was aware of his violent nature and involvement in crimes um, only strengthens that. And uh, to think that all that could potentially um, make its way to the, to the screen and, and, you know, fully form out that part of the MCU. That's an exciting prospect. Um, and to see how that's going to go. I mean, 
we have talked, I mean, has it been for two years? Has it been longer than that, Matt? Daredevil Born Again, 18 episodes. Holy smokes. When's when's the last time? I mean, Walking Dead wasn't even up there as a drama, okay? Doing that many episodes. And, and here you had that announcement and we were like, uh, really? I mean, did they just announce three six episode seasons like what what happened there um i am a proponent of less is more um and again just stating the the way in which like okay he can have a device he can have a thing and have his eyesight and we don't need to have it explained to every last detail um you know i think they made things better through slimming it down but yeah she does go on a lot of what seem like aimless motorcycle rides you mentioned that ice cream man scene uh what a well placed bit of story it's at the beginning of 104 so kind of like mathematically not really at the middle because the the episodes kind of get shorter as these five episodes go on but i think emotionally near the middle and it's a good time to remind us um, you know, Maya Lopez is our hero for these five episodes, and we see her doing heroic things and fighting the baddie that is Fisk for as much as we love him. Like, everybody's clear Fisk is a bad guy. But it's a reminder here that she's a baddie, too. She's just not a baddie in this show. And to have that twist where young Maya is kicking the ice cream man, seeing... It's just a great affectation. Yeah. Like, you know subverting what you would expect he's he's trying to cover this up it's i don't want to scare her i i don't want to have to explain to a child shame all these things like there is an anti-hero-esque nature to fisk and the and the distortion in her mind that he was a hero that he you know, took care of the man who teased her. Um, and, and again, the, the manipulation that's happened to her over much of her life, her, her father and his criminal involvement, uh, albeit misguided, you know, the, the Lopez's and Henry as, you know, the, the last living connection to her father, you know, desperately wanting to do the right thing yet involved in criminal enterprises and you know it's it's compelling these are these are well-drawn and believable characters that you know we are rooting for wilson fisk when he beats the crap out of the ice cream man yeah and you know each of these episodes has so many writing credits and that's there's your there's your scar of it was written initially and then you know rewrites and this and that the other and you need to address yeah i'm not i'm not gonna cry for a bunch of people getting writing credits especially after you know this strike and and things finally getting ironed out they they can have they can all get our, uh, the writing credits here they can get double writing credits as far as i'm concerned pete if anything it's it, it 
it, it it's proof to what you're saying if only the production had spent more time worrying about what writers would think and saying mm-hmm. you know we're going to open a four-month writing room and we're going to have eight people in there uh and we're going to pay pay the paltry sum to have eight writers in there some more senior some more junior but we're going to do that we're going to kick around ideas where the cream rises to the top versus no instead oh hey john favreau we can only afford you and filoni get it done will you yeah um again just this idea of the you referenced before you know eight episodes slimmed down to five true i just want to also restate eight episodes then heavy reshooting to get to five so it's not that they it's not that they edited you know Correct. eight to five it's they shot they added more you know, they, they, they shot they, 10 or 11 to get to five you know there's a lot of fat sitting someplace that that again you know could wind up someplace the actress who plays um young maya is her cousin um and you you can definitely tell based on her appearance what was shot earlier what was shot later um despite some of the tricks they try to do that uh i have to wonder based on her appearance the stuff with the ice cream man seems to look like it may have been filmed during hawkeye um i would agree um again and it's maybe just... they thought that didn't fit um i mean and that... again, the amount of footage extras you know deleted fully deleted scenes edited you know effects everything like that that are available for hawkeye on disney plus i have to wonder did they have this did they hold this back and say no 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 no. we're going to use this in uh in echo don't put this out i would add to that i mean that ice cream man scene <laughs> there's your tvma for the episode um you know we had we had talked last time you know, do they slightly oversell, you know, watch out. It's all TVMA every moment of it. Uh, yeah, there's your TVMA moment. Pete, could I imagine a world where they shot that? And then when footage was reviewed, they were like, gee whiz, this doesn't fit with our Marvel Christmas show. Cut it. <laughs> then why did you shoot it that way? Why did you have, why did you have practical effects person sitting outside the camera with a, with, with a mister spraying down, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio with each blow in order to show blood spot. Like why all of these choices got made, and then in the edit you go, ah, eh, you know what? It's only four hundred thousand dollars worth of shooting for those six days. Whatever, cut it, cut it, cut it. Um, but again, Pete, we we keep returning to this, you know, this celebration of what this what this show is. I think I think the inclusion of the 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 voice to sign technology, um. I think it's I think it's great. It lets the two characters have a direct, a more direct discussion. Um, and again, I don't mean to keep going to what was original shoot, what was reshoot, um, because maybe this is original shoot stuff. But it did cross my mind: if you are doing a reshoot, where now all of a sudden you are kind of counting the pennies a little bit more, it's a way to have less people in the scene and a way to move a little bit faster. And if D'Onofrio's signing is not. Um, the best in the world and to my you know uneducated eyes it looked pretty darn good but if you really want things to be just perfect uh pete now we invented a technology that does the signing for him um 
I, again, I feel like it's win, win, win dramatically for shooting purposes, main shoot, reshoot, um, for storytelling, for character. It just works. That That's where it, it's a gut punch and that she calls him out on it. And it's 100 percent true. Uh, he wants her for her abilities, um, the the guilt and his, you know, I want a daughter. Um, whereas, you know, he says he's. He's never had anybody. He's he's had Vanessa. If we're not going to address that, but at the same time, we're going to talk about the the world in which they're coming from. That that she's existed as a part of that, and he doesn't need to say that. And you know, if Maya was involved in that, she knows who Vanessa is and everything like that. However, um, just the again manipulative nature you're like a daughter to me here here's the hammer i killed my father with i'm gonna give it to you so that you can kill me now so you can free yourself oh you won't do it there is still good bad in you come with me in my uh jet back to the death star (laughs) um i want to mention two standouts from the skating rink first of all maya creating the the pellet gun bolt thrower whatever you know (laughs) with a laser sight (laughs) yeah we've we talked last time too how in some of these shows hawkeye being one of them sometimes your main sometimes your title character gets lost in more interesting stuff like you know d'onofrio who's been on stage and screen and so on and so forth for 35 years you know etc 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 um this is a great way that 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 handmade gun vaguely i might quibble she puts it together so quick relative to other things going on but again we also have like echoes through time and healing power and fisk has superhuman strength and you know it's part of a larger universe with you know time travel like it's not really a source of complaint but character wise here she is capable outside the box you know etc it's just a great it's a great highlight for her um as is the whole the whole fight in the skating rink it's just a great bare knuckle glass breaking fight. Love the arcade pistol cord whip perfection. Oh my god! It's just all yeah. great. It's all great. It it is. It's a very different type of throwdown than the one that Daredevil joins into, which is meant to be like her initiation, and she survives that, um, and and shows the promise the underlying theme being had she died at the hands of daredevil, it would have been like Fisk. First off, it would have thrown him into a rage and two, it would have been like, and she's not the heir apparent. So better find another protege. Like it, it works on so many different levels there. And for this one to just be this unhinged beat em up sequence in which we use everything you would find in a roller rink, you know, uh, the, um, the pinball table, uh, you know, everything like that. And then still they're about to be executed. And the only person that can call and get an apology, we all know who he is. We're, we're back to original daredevil, Matt, you don't say his name. Okay. It's just that shadow and that specter over everything. And 
you know, they have done everything right across three shows with Wilson Fisk. And that even includes Hawkeye when he was a little, he's the most comic booky he ever comes off, you know, with the hula shirt and everything like that. Um, we get in this episode, the, um, a scene that could just be doing story work for next time, which is, uh, biscuits and Woody looking over stuff to fix the truck because, uh, you know, again, here we are podcasting from the perspective of having seen all five episodes, Chula's truck being fixed is what, you know, helps save the day in the, in the finale episode. But, um, to get, I mean, first of all, to get the little cute, Lion King reference here, all that the light touches is yours or whatever. But I mean, more important, <laughs> uh, more importantly, the the line, um, "There's nothing too broken that can't be fixed." I mean, I might want to quibble with that on a, I don't know, on a certain level. But the sentiment of it is just great. It's it's in a certain sense the calling card of this show. Maya Lopez you know, is a villain, has done terrible things, and so forth. But here we are. Um, you know, we've never rooted against her, but here we are in five episodes after which, you know, she should be a hero and we should be rooting for her and so forth. Um, again, it's a scene that on the uh, one hand is... Asha Romanoff and, and Clint Barton left, you know, yeah. nothing bodies at stages of their lives. Um, you know, Tony Stark's uh, legacy of, uh, you know munitions and and everything like that uh even captain america can't really say he's got clean hands it, it's the perspective it's the lens through which you view it uh with all that said matt r.i.p to another nathaniel malik marion uh hey look disney clearly the disney casting folks clearly like to return to certain people um and kill them <laughs> well yeah, Pete, look have him get shot <laughs> you, your character you can't play a character who gets killed off after a couple of episodes if you're never cast to play the person to begin with um so yeah either he, he has a certain presence um acting is a tough gig hopefully he shows up again somewhere soon um you know ho hopefully he's lucky enough um and speaking of luck pete we have part of the episode here taking place in the choctaw casino and I'll just mention, at least in our uh, part of the country, I remember when um, casinos on native lands and reservations, like when it legally started to get figured out, we just figured out like the state of Connecticut might have a gambling ban, but the Mohegan land in casino uh, in Connecticut is uh, is exempt from that. Therefore, time to build a casino, time to put a bunch of people to work, time to Time to win back some of the uh, maybe you know some of the the money lost over the years and so forth. And yeah, I'm just tickled I pink by think, that. Uh, it, they've they've got a lot of uh, makeup uh, to to perform throughout those years. But um, yeah, I mean to to make it yeah that loophole that you're talking about with uh, the state of Connecticut and you know the what are they? Are they commonwealths? Are they protectorates? I'm I'm not quite clear these um, you know native lands, but uh, you know I'm I'm old enough to remember when it was super controversial, and now oh what do you know the 
the amount of money to be made, uh, you know, they've they've just cropped up everywhere. I see some smoke signals on the horizon. To Twitter we go, Pete. How did people rate episodes three and four? One star, why no horn head? Got zero percent. Daredevil shall return in his own series. We're okay without him here. Two stars, slow pace, got 4.2%. Three stars, building nicely, got 20.8%. And four stars, epic, got 75%. Uh, some replies here on Twitter. Uh, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille said, I'm loving the ancestor trios through time, learning how the power echoes through each of them. The fight scenes are great and added to by dumb criminals. The lady watching the hostage video is top-notch humor. I was not expecting Maya to also be a MacGyver. Uh, the one-on-one conversations in episode four were excellent and needed. I also like how different characters use ASL and varying levels of proficiency and tone. Henry is very aggressive and articulate versus Chula being soft and quiet. Protect biscuits at all costs. Uh, and uh, Dr. Bob Keeley at R. Keeley on Twitter says, I agree. I like the way they are introducing the backstory along with the main story. Effective uh, storytelling. This one is growing on me. Next, we hear from James the Sagacious, Big Killin on Twitter. The flashbacks to the Horsemen in Episode 3 were cool and reminded me of Watchmen. The roller rink fight was A+. The Fisk-Maya chemistry is out of this world. This is a motion graphic novel. The critics have, an, have hit a new moral low panning this show. Yeah. Uh, I must confess, Pete, I, I don't know what its Rotten Tomatoes is and so forth. I know that on I, you know seeing ads for this show on uh, Instagram and YouTube and so forth, they've definitely gotten some good quotes from, from some good publications to put in ads. They have. Um, yeah, definite Watchmen vibes. Uh, more Tuklo, please. I found that really captivating and interesting, and I'd love to see a return to that story. By the way, the Rotten Tomato score, uh, 72% for the critics. Um, yeah. Oh, well, like, come on. Even then, we, we know how pseudo-political that is with YouTubers instructing their sycophants to, to go downvote it to well the the audience score yes the the the, the, matt who do you know who makes decisions to go to movies to watch a series based on a rotten tomatoes rank uh i don't disagree i i I do think let me be this way rotten tomatoes with the tomato meter as ridiculous that sounds the tomato meter as a number representing critical take um i will admit the 72 percent is a bit low but i think that you know if i think it's not it's not this is not a hundred percent you know the godfather part two type thing um or should it be equated that we're we're putting this on the level of the best that marvel has done but for a standalone first spotlight outing which we've quibbled with already you know it's not here's fisk here's daredevil like these these characters have existed and been around and all right they're they're there to an extent but it's still not how is it different from these other shows that remains still to be seen um yeah it's an acceptable score and, and how much of that can be taken what's what's a margin of error given the amount of coordinated attacks go on for rotten tomatoes 
Pete, I know this. Steve Thurbridge on Twitter said, really enjoyed these two episodes. The best scene was the slow lean-in with Fisk's finger to Maya's eye. Techie <laughs> contact to let Mr. D'Onofrio utilize his dialogue chops. Can't wait for the finale. Uh, Ms. Myra, that's Myra Carmel on Twitter, said, uh, said uh, two days ago, I'm probably going to binge watch tomorrow during a snowstorm. Uh, Ms. Myra, love to hear. First of all, hope all is well at the snowstorm uh, as we experience another non-snowstorm here in new jersey yeah, set it our way we're yeah. overdue um but uh yeah get, certainly be in touch uh we hear from it's twitter not life that's at kclyle1 on twitter loving it the story is great the fight scenes are amazing some of the best i've seen lately i don't know if it's a Lockwood cox the double effects work or what combination it is but i feel those hits echo makes loving the choctaw flashbacks looking forward to see more by the way the ice cream man had it coming <laughs> He did. Yeah. He totally did. I mean, come on. She's pointing at the thing. All right. He doesn't have it. And then, gosh, again, we're Fisk. We're watching in the SUV. He's making the talking noises with his hands. And I don't think there's a rational one among us that wouldn't go out and at least give him a piece of our mind. And and the revenge fantasy is, yeah, you drag him into a into an alley and beat the snot out of him next up at bike brh who says having seen all the episodes now i will definitely put it well in the upper half of marvel tv it didn't have the highest highs of any of the other shows but it didn't have the lows that many of those shows did either it was just consistently very good next up ben larson at larson ben the skate rink fight was a daredevil hallway level uh, fight scene <laughs> impressive work by everyone involved vincent d'onofrio stepped right back into the role without missing a beat he's just an awesome menacing presence and then last tweet pete comes from kevin grogu's brosif that's at kevin the brosif uh, episode four was probably my favorite of this series there were so many amazing moments but when fisk requested a jacket change on his 2008 cell phone it was too late because maya was already there Mastercraft storytelling heartbreaking i was 100 invested want to mention pete kevin grogu's brosif says favorite and fisk with the ph i i did see that that was great uh pete what do you have over there on blue sky jack nyc conveniently matt uh responded to my tweet putting the first two episodes up there that he's very behind on his quota for Disney Plus shows. Still hasn't watched What If Season 2. He will try to catch up before uh, you and I finish podcasting Echo. He, he calls it Echo Season 1, Matt. Jack Jack may know something. Um, You never know. You never know. Uh, Pete, to the email inbox we go, hearing again from Steve Adams, uh, who says about episode three, I liked the pastor, the pastor, the faster paced storytelling of this condensed series. The scope feels much more limited than other shows, but I think it works for Echo. She's not trying to save the universe, just use her own little corner of it. Uh, again, Pete, people, the, the PR people need to start doing pull quotes from Steve Adams emails to us. That's a great, she's not trying to save the universe, just her own little corner of it. Well done, Great. Steve. He continues to say one thing the series does well is explore how everyone has reacted badly to past mistakes, decisions, and tragedies. They all seem to want to reach out and connect, but they don't know how. Once again, the fight scene is very well constructed and makes great use of the surrounding environment. 
the scene where Maya built her gun out of spare parts had me flashing back to the A's of watching the uh, to the days of watching the A team every week. Alakwa Cox's performance continues to shine. She fits right into that role, and the rest of the cast is very capable as well. I'm liking what I have seen so far and look forward to the resolution of the story. Until next time, stay fantastic. That's from Steve Adams. Thanks, Steve. Lastly, Pete, we hear from Robert, who says as follows, Matt and Pete, I'm just listening to your podcast for episodes one and two of Echo. You are living up to your usual high standard. Looking at the Disney Plus timeline, I see they have placed Echo after Wakanda Forever and before She-Hulk. This puts Echo squarely in the summer of 2025. Ms. Marvel is clearly the fall of 2025, and that occurs right after She-Hulk in the timeline. I guess we just have to chalk it up to the 20 years reference in Echo with slight looseness of language when Biscuits is talking. This is the same kind of confusion that Eternals caused when Ajax said the Thanos wiped out half of life five years ago when the timeline places Eternals more than six years after Infinity War. This is a small thing in the big picture. I've learned to make note of it mm-hmm. when it happens, then carry on with the story. I also see that Disney... And is Biscuits even a reliable person when time is concerned? <laughs> <laughs> um, let alone, too, I guess, can you, Pete, for people who, for, for people who were dusted... Might their perception of time be off, let alone just for everybody? And I'm even thinking, you know, yeah, it 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 works. Yeah. It can be as late as it it can be as much as, and you know, we also understand to can consider the source. Uh, Robert goes on to say, I also see that Disney Plus is placing Echo in a group of shows labeled The Defenders, so we can, in fact, expect a lot more integration with them. Oddly, Disney has chosen to not split out the various seasons of Daredevil shows or Loki or What If. Each show is uh, listed only once to the point where the first season occurs in the timeline rather than giving each season a separate entry uh, when it takes place. This means that people have to be smart enough to realize that some time goes on between seasons of Daredevil, for example, so they should watch other Defenders shows before season two. Since Spider-Man No Way Home came out, I've been watching all the MCU content with my two boys, who are now 8 and 10. We are now current and watching things as they come out. I had included some of the X-Men movies and all the Spider-Man movies with No Way Home and Multiverse of Madness in mind. I now have to decide whether to show them the Defenders shows. I don't really know what to do about Deadpool and Logan other than wait a few years. Uh, Thank you again for all the great podcasting done in 2023. I look forward to a fantastic new year in 2024. Uh, Pete, he has some more to say in the course of a PS. But why don't we pause here and say, what are your thoughts as to 8 and 10 year olds watching the Defenders shows? Um... I, I do err on the side of caution. I think there would be some that is a little rough, but if you're watching Echo, might be doable. Maybe previewing it again, just for the sake of, you know, being overly sure. I mean, with with Deadpool 3 coming in July um, and the buzz that is already building towards that, um i mean listen they're gonna return to the same type of violence but again now disney's making it and you know what are the decisions as far as gratuity versus putting a laugh behind it um i'm not fully sure and and maybe that might help to 
prompt the conversation. I just picked up uh, for Christmas. Uh, Santa brought me uh, Once Upon a Deadpool. Brought me the PG thirteen cut, which we had seen in the theater, and you know was a whole thing to, um, you know, do some fundraising for uh, cancer treatment. Um, and it holds up. Uh, you know, is it as fun as the other cut, the the R rated cut? It it's not does it have its own stuff that makes it its its own thing and the the Fred Savage stuff um at the same time I'm I'm watching it and like all right yeah it's PG-13 but wow they went there for that like that was a constant inner monologue as I watched it um again for the first time since we'd seen it in a theater so yeah I I just think it's going to be a discussion a lot of people are having as you know Deadpool three with Wolverine and, you know, the understanding that they address Logan in that, uh, and square all of it and, you know, help families with, you know, kids who would be interested in that stuff yet probably not ready for that level of violence. As I'm sure Rob knows, there's, TVMA slash rated R for, you know, violence. And then there's like rated R TVMA for nudity, sex, etc. You know, Jessica Jones season one, as I recall, there's some some bedroom scenes. There's also mm-hmm. kind of her lack of consent with Kilgrave. I must confess, I don't remember how deeply that goes, but that that might be an area that might be an area that's different than say Logan been a while since I've seen Logan, but Logan is rated R for violence. And when Wolverine chops bad guys who are doing bad things and want to hurt a kid, I think that's a little bit different than where are Jessica Jones and Luke Cage going? And why are there, why what's, what's going on? I'm glad to know there's parents, you know, like thinking these through instead of, you know, Hey, here's this thing called the internet and you can look at whatever you want on it. Because it's 2024, kid. Go watch a screen. Because mommy and daddy are, are busy. Uh, Rob's PS here uh, is uh, in reference to the order that he and his boys have watched things in. Pete, he he catalogs 64 things. So pardon me if I don't read them all <laughs> word for word. I'll just say he uh, he he does start with um, the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, which chronologically shakes out for me. Um, and, uh, makes his way all the way to what if these kids are on the, on the doctorate course here. Absolutely. Um, and he's also, he says here that he's made some, some edits and so forth. For example, he wanted guardians to be fresher in their minds. So he moved that around from the order and so forth. Um, so I just want to say Rob, Rob, don't show him the Punisher movies. (laughs) Yeah. And also I I would just, I think we all sometimes forget the fantastic four movies out too, but at the same time, I think they have a a strange place in all of it. I mean, I always enjoyed Stan- them. I enjoyed them. Um, I mean, they're. I just think they were a missed opportunity. Uh, I will say to Rob and to everybody, not on Rob's list. And a movie that I think that we forget is the granddaddy of the modern comic book film, predating Spider Man, predating X Men, uh, is Blade. I've been forever since I've seen Blade. I do remember there's a blood shower in the first, like literally people, you know, literally there's the opening scene where 
there's humans and vampires at at the club the 90s club the rave uh, and then there's a blood shower which inspires the vampires to eat the people so i've, I've never seen it so i've, oh. I've got to watch it has without being a spoiler to you pete um the original bits and pieces of them. The, the original and it's got brian reynolds is in one of them or three two or three yeah i think the third one by the third one Which wesley snipes i could imagine maybe they'll have some fun with in in deadpool i would hope because wesley snipes stopped talking to people during blade three like would not speak to the director did not interact with like would not act with the other good, actors yeah. <laughs> wesley snipes also didn't pay his taxes it's good um so thank you rob for that thoughtful email and um pete as always this journey has been made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek so our thanks to one and all who keep us listener supported yes everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content but you place the value on the product it takes just a dollar to get you in that door can't contribute right now you can still help us you can go to apple podcasts you can leave us a rating uh a review especially needed for the echo podcast by fantastic geek right now but for any of our 35 soon to be 36 with star wars skeleton crew in the offing Pete, let's keep the conversation going ahead of talking about one more Echo uh, episode in a couple days' time and then wrapping the series next weekend. How can people be in touch with you on social media? You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on threads. You can find me on Blue Sky at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,600 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and Threads, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P and the H like it today. We will talk the fifth and final episode of the season on uh, January 16th. Might record that a smidge early, so just you know, get your thoughts in perhaps sooner than not. Uh, of course, we do have the Echo season slash series wrap next weekend on the 20th. So what you don't share for episode 105, you could share for our series look back. Then beyond that, Pete, we're putting together we're putting together our thoughts for something that maybe we'll keep secret right now, but yes. taking us into corners corners that have been long, long <laughs> ignored with the rise of Marvel. There's there's other stuff to explore there is there is and we need to you know pad our schedule here because <laughs> we don't have dates past uh Echo january 20th and uh star trek discovery season five and in april we don't even have a date in april yet we have a month uh so yeah yeah uh we've got to continue to uh give you guys content somehow and uh that is in deep discussion well pete on that note of uh, of mystery perhaps something a detective could uh start to unfurl there uh i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete four episodes three and four the final word there's nothing too broke to fix 